over the past few weeks, we've been in this series on the Apostles' Creed, and uh, we've been looking at the foundational truth of which we believe, uh, hence the we believe, uh, about our faith. And over the last two weeks specifically, we've looked at two parts of the Trinity. Uh, Last week, we looked at the Holy Spirit. The week before that, we looked at God the Father, uh, Almighty. Um, and uh, with God the Father, we, we, we looked at specifically how, how powerful, how all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful that he was, but how he desired to also be intimate with us. And if you remember last week, Spin shared with us a very, the very real nature of the Holy Spirit, uh, bringing intimacy into that relationship with God. Uh, he talked about the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the, the Spirit dwelling with us, being as close as our breath with him. If you were here, it was great uh, to, to, to get a real, uh, real practical look at it, how he's constant in our lives, how he's always with us, uh, and he's the one that brings change in our lives. Remember, at the end of that, he challenged us that the Holy Spirit brings change in our lives. And so today, we're going to look at the third and final piece. Now, in most lists, uh, when they list the, whole, the Trinity, you get Jesus second. So you get God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but, uh, and, I, and I do believe the, the Spirit of God is what is living and active in our lives right now. So very present, constant conversation, you know, we're challenged to maybe think on the Holy Spirit constantly in our lives every day, um, but, but what I do believe is I believe that Jesus really is kind of the glue that holds it all together. That holds everything together. That the, we've talked about the Father and the Spirit, and Jesus kind of really kind of brings it to a, to a whole. And so I'm excited for us to kind of do Jesus on the, on the third of the three so we can focus on, on that idea uh, specifically. So my hope for us today is that as we finish up focusing on the Trinity, uh, as we call it, as we foundationally believe, uh, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that we believe that there are three very unique and different in themselves, but also the same, okay? And I, and I, and I know, because if you're like me at all, you're like, yeah, you know, I know that that's what we believe, but man, that is crazy. Like, I can barely wrap my head around that idea, and I would say, you're probably in great company in this room. At least you're in great company if you're hanging out with me, because it is mysterious, for us to try to understand all of what God is, okay? And so, uh, and I think, well, and I know what we have to be all right with is, is viewing God as sometimes mysterious, all right? We have to be all right with viewing that. Um, I think uh, for us, we, uh, I know what I would do if I was given all the full knowledge, well, right? I mean, it happened in the garden, but Maybe you can relate to it. If I was given to all the full knowledge of what God is, I would misuse it. I would twist it. I would all too often, like we probably, I don't know, I'm not going to make you raise your hand again, but uh, that we probably do all too often, right? So uh, we have to be all right with mis- God being mysterious sometimes and not always having a full understanding of it, okay? But what is, what is not all right is for us to look at and be like, well, God's just trying to confuse me. Because that's not what God is in the business of doing. So my hope is for us today, as we finish up looking at the three parts of the Trinity with Jesus, that we wouldn't be confused. So hopefully as I ramble on for only like an hour and a half, um, we're, no, I'm going to try to get out on time today. Uh, No, uh, that we wouldn't walk away confused 
about more about the Trinity, that we would walk away with some clarity and some understanding. So what I want us to start by doing is I want to challenge you, like I did when I talked about God a few weeks ago, I want to challenge each of us this morning as we look at Jesus, I want to challenge us by asking us who you think Jesus is. I want you to ask, and hopefully you'll get a better picture of this after our time together, I want you to ask, who is Jesus, and who do you say Jesus is? For your blank filler inners, that's your first blank, don't miss it, you'll be like worried about it for the rest of the time. Um, but who do you say Jesus is, okay? Uh, Jesus was having this discussion specifically with this group of his disciples uh, in Matthew 16. Uh, Jesus with, is, was with his disciples, and if you remember, I, I, I picture it a lot like you get to hang out with your friends for like a weekend, or you do something really cool, like maybe, I don't know if you're into skydiving, or you know, cliff jumping, or a, a big hike, or you've accomplished something as a group of friends, and you're like, oh, man, that was awesome, you know, like, whoa, let's talk about it, let's get to, you know, and you're just like all kind of giddy and amped up. I kind of picture the di- disciples being this way, because Jesus had just come off the heels of feeding the 4,000, all right, that, that little minor miracle he did there, and then he was approached by a woman, and he healed her daughter without even being in the presence of his daughter, of her daughter, and, and, then, uh, and then on top of that, um, you know, he, I, I think all that built up and all the miracles that Jesus has been doing had gotten his disciples kind of excited. And so Jesus, with their excitement and probably everything that's kind of buzzing around, uh, he starts this conversation and he says, who do the people say that I am? Who do, who's everybody saying that I am? And, and they respond, well, Johnny B, it's Johnny the Baptist, John the Baptist. Uh, Johnny B, Elijah, Jeremiah, that they say that you're maybe a reincarnate of them. Uh, and, 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 and that's what their first response was. And then, and then Jesus stops and says, no, who do you say I am? Saying it to Peter. And Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And if you, if you, if you know your Bible or if you just like didn't know and then you studied like I did this week, I looked at what Christ is and the Christ and what that title looked like. And in the Old Testament specifically, it's used over 30 times. Christ. You are Christ. Christos. It was a, 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 it's actually a title that they gave kings in the Old Testament. Pretty common. So on one hand, uh, you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, but, it, it, but it's the way that Peter responds. You are the Christ. So if you look at Old Testament, uh, at, at that time, uh, if you were a king in the Old Testament, like I said, 30 sometimes you were, they were referred to as Christos, king. You are king of the people, of, the, of your group, of your region, okay? Uh, and so Peter is saying that. But if you, if you really look at the context of the area and what's going on at that time, Rome in itself is like taking over more and more and more, and they're trying to just kind of just take over everything, and uh, Caesarea Philippi is where they're at right now, and this is at this time specifically, uh, they've gained this area and actually even built some pretty significant temples to other gods in this area, and so that's very prominent what's going on, and so as Jesus asked Peter, that's kind of the context of everything that's going on around this discussion and what's, what's happening, and so Jesus says to Peter, who do you say, and then Peter says, you are the king. 
You are the king over everything. You are the king over the, the king idols that are in the forefront of everything that's going on. You are the king over everything. And so this morning, and, and, and I tell you what, it's even, it's even, I mean, the people that are listed by them, the, the heavy hitters of, Je, of John the Baptist, uh, dead, uh, Jeremiah, dead, Elijah, dead, right? Peter's saying that you are a king over all of them in the present, in the, the, Ro- the Roman Empire and everything that's going on. And so what that got me thinking about this morning is, is if we were to ask ourselves that question, who do you say Jesus is, what would be your answer? Because there's a lot of answers out there, right? Who do you say Jesus is? Is he the turn and burn Jesus? You've seen him holding the signs saying repent or you're going to go to hell, right? Or is he the, oh, well, God loves everyone. Well, that's true. But are you focusing on that? Are you, is, do you say Jesus is that, the, the lover of everyone and we should do the same? Do you say Jesus is the God of, he's the God of second chances, so I'm going to take advantage of my first chance, right? I'm going to live that one up because I know I've got another chance coming, Right? Or do you say, a lot of people in culture say, well, he's fake, not real. I mean, it's a story, right? A lot of different answers that people have as to who Jesus is. And I think for us, and, I, well, and actually for us, we, when we look at the gospel stories and, and the life that Jesus lived, because I tell you what, in the Apostles' Creed, uh, Jesus is mentioned Multiple times, I mean, his, his life, ministry, death, resurrection is all incorporated in there, right? Let's pause for a second. Every week we've recited the Apostles' Creed, right? I want to do that again, okay? So this is the opportunity. Uh, what we do, uh, what we've been doing is reciting the Apostles' Creed. Now, I know you might say, well, we don't even recite Scripture in church. Well, that's true. Uh, again, the Apostles' Creed is pointing to Scripture and the truth. And so when we declare, when we say it, we're actually opposing culture. We're standing and declaring Jesus over culture, over uh, what what culture tells us we should do, how we should act, how we should live. We're saying, no, we believe in something even bigger than that. So everybody stand up real quick. Ryan, sorry to throw you off. I was going to do this at the very beginning, but I didn't. We're going to recite the Apostles' Creed, all right? And it's going to be on the screen. And I'll start, and then you guys can kind of, like, join in with me, all right? So, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Now, wait. So hold on real quick. Real quick. I've got some emails and some conversations about this line specifically. Okay, when we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we're not saying... We're Christ the King Catholic Church, all right? So Catholic 
church in this sense, lowercase c, means universal church. I believe in the universal church, the one church, the capital C one church that we are a part of. All right? Does that make sense? So I've gotten a lot of questions about that. All right? And we're going to get to that. I thought we could wait, and when I got there, we'd talk about it, but it's causing some, like, people like, I don't even want to say that. Like, anyways. All right, here we go. Let's start again. We'll start on I believe the Holy Spirit. Ah, uh, the Holy Spirit back. Can see. There we go. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. There we go. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So, so we've been doing that every week, and it's been good because I really firmly believe it's us declaring what we believe in as a church. We're, we're declaring that, but we're also opposing what doesn't fall underneath that. All right? Okay, so... Uh, we talk about what people believe, right? I was talking about how people believe different things about who Jesus is, what he stood for and what he didn't stand for. People standing on one side and saying they're wrong and I'm right. And I think what we can get mixed up in, and even when we look at Jesus's life uh, as, that's in the Gospels, okay? So if you don't know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's a story of Jesus's life. He lived here on earth and what he did while he was here. And if you remember, it was probably back when I was like in elementary school, maybe even a little bit earlier, I don't know, because I became a Christian at 18, but there was that movement of the WWJD, right? Right, the what would Jesus do movement, right? Like you wear the bracelet and you remind yourself, hey, what would Jesus do? I want to do what Jesus would do, you know? Uh, and I, man, as I wrestled with that this week, that's just wrong. Silence. You guys are like, what? I thought we were supposed to do what Jesus did. No, here's the deal. This is why I believe that this was wrong, right? Live like Jesus, like forgive like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus, you know, that kind of stuff. Like that sounds great. But here's the deal. Jesus isn't a model for life. He is the king of life, okay? Jesus isn't a model for life. He is the king of life. Okay, and so when we, when we look at that idea, what would Jesus do, or I want to forgive like Jesus, or love like Jesus, we're focused in on the action, right? When really, if we look at the scriptures, and even look at what we declare in the creeds, and as we get into the scripture, it's not that we want to act and live like Jesus, it's that we want to submit to a king, and that's tough. Like I said with the kids, you can obviously tell where I was at this week in my message, so I was able to tie it back in with the kids, but a king has his kingdom, and the people underneath his kingdom kind of do what the king wants them to do, all right? Now, there's bad, I, there's bad examples of king in the, kings in the Bible and in, in history and time, but what we get here is that Jesus is the king, and we are his people, and we are called into his kingdom. Right? So we don't want to necessarily look at the idea of modeling Jesus because then we get focused in on modeling in, uh, in uh, what, do you, what do you call it, mimicking the way that Jesus lived rather than submitting and understanding why we do it, why Jesus is our king. All right? Anything outside of his authority is outside of his kingdom. So anything in our lives that is 
falls outside of his authority is outside of his kingdom, all right? So in his delight and love for us, he wants us to be moved to love and delight in him, not in the actions that we think we're supposed to live, right? The moral transformation in our life occurs in our heart, and what occurs in our heart is because of our love for him, our love for Christ and our, and our idea of being a part of his kingdom. It's not out of our great discipline to try to earn that love or earn whatever repercussions or whatever uh, penance we get for doing the right thing, all right? And those are very different ideas, very drastically different ideas. The idea of just acting like Jesus because he set an example for us or, or falling under submission to a king because of how much he loved us. And hopefully you'll understand as we get into this. All right? It's night and day different. And I'm, and I'm guilty of it. I, I could probably go back over a lot of my messages and be like, hey, you know, we want to love like Jesus and we want to do things like Jesus. And we want to, but really what we want to do is we want to push into that relationship with him. Delight in being under his reign because of what he did for us. Does that make sense? A little bit? All right, so hopefully we can unpack it. So in the creed it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord. Now I've said the creed, we want it to point, we're doing it, we're not, I'm not preaching the creed, I'm preaching scripture about the truths of what the creed uh, says. And so, uh, man, I stumbled on a scripture this week that, and if we look at that creed that's in your, in your uh, bulletin, it's like the, the big chunk of the middle, a third of the middle is Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. That's all the things that we're going to look at. And I was able to find a, a direct parallel in scripture, actually in a couple different cases, that directly parallels what we declare in the creed, and it's pretty amazing. So it's in Colossians 1. Uh, if you have your Bible or if it's on your phone, you can open up there. There's Bibles in the back. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one home with you. Uh, Colossians 1, starting in verse 15, says this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been, been created uh, through him and for him. He is before all things, and, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. That is great. Like, but it's hard to conceptualize this and understand it, right? That everything is held together for Christ, that everything was created for his purpose, including you, including us, including the church, and that everything should fall under his supremacy out of what he did for each one of us. Now, listen to what it says in Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 11. I'm just going to read this whole thing. Uh, it's a lot of scripture reading, which is great today because it's just pointing us right back to scripture. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort uh, from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. So this is Paul writing this to the church at Philippi, the Philippians, uh, and he's declaring this to them. He's telling them, man, if you believe like I believe, this is what 
we want to be of one mind, one church, the universal church, right? We just talked about that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in, humi- in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you uh, to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name and the name of Jesus every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. So in this, we see that, uh, that Christ, it's kind of moving from Christ the King. He's up, uh, up on his uh, authority in heaven, seated with God. He's up kind of probably comfortable in heaven, loving it up, right? And he enters into earth. He enters into earth with us, humanity, uh, becoming both human and God together. But he enters into it with us. And why does he do that? And that Shelley does it because he loves you. Right? We'll kind of unpack this more and more. He does it because he loves you. Jesus didn't come to earth so that he could be a great example for us. Right? With, what, with all that Jesus did, he came to earth out of his love for us. It was out of God's love that Jesus came to earth. Right? We don't earn that love. It was given. Given out of Jesus being center. Jesus is asking us to do the same. In that scripture in Philippians, it said he abandoned everything and came to earth. And, and what he's calling us to do is abandon our selfish ambition, our selfish desires, right? And enter into that relationship with him. And, and we'll, see, we'll see what we get in that. Jesus, Jesus, having entered the planet, entered earth to be a man, displays something very foundational for us that we uh, understand or that we need to understand. That there, is a, there was a grave, there's a grave separation between heaven and all of its glory where Jesus was and the darkness of this planet. The darkness that we live in. The sinfulness that we live in. In Tell you what, we all contribute to it, right? We're all not like, oh, but I'm trying to just exuber and, and display all the light that I can. Now, we, even in displaying light, we still mess up. We still uh, get it wrong sometimes. And so there's that grave separation and that the only thing that would, that would, that would uh, bridge that separation was Jesus coming to earth to be with us. Right, and that's what it says in the creed, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And there's a second thing about that idea of Christ coming to earth that I want us to look at this morning, and that is, it was out of his willingness and love to sacrifice for us, right? His willingness to take on flesh, to sacrifice being in God, being in all the glory of heaven, and coming to earth, all right? So, 
I was trying to think of an example for that this week, and uh, I met a guy this week that uh, basically started at Costco after I left. So I left uh, seven or eight years ago, and he, that's the day he started. He's like, I don't even know, but I, he works with all the guys that I used to work with. Same managers over there at Costco. And so maybe some of you guys can relate to this. Uh, if you've had a manager in your life, or a boss, or, uh, you know, uh, and there's different, different types of managers or bosses we've all experienced, probably. If you haven't, if you work independently and don't have a boss or a manager, then great. Uh, try to relate to this. But I worked for Costco for 15 years. Had tons of different managers in my life, right? And I can name a lot of them. Uh, the names that are easier to come up with were the managers that I loved to work with, okay? And these were the managers that really uh, actually cared for me. And that entered in that when uh, they, I drove forklift most of the time that I was with Costco. These are the managers that would jump on a forklift and drive Costco, drive a forklift with me to try to get everything done with us, all right? Okay, or the managers that would like, as I'm throwing freight in Costco, stocking those shelves in those pallets, they would literally come down and start stocking the shelves with me, right? And they would contribute and they would, and it felt like they cared. They weren't the managers that stand at the end of the Costco house and be like, okay, you guys, come on, hurry up. You know, like, let's go. What's, what's wrong? You're way behind, you know? They just bark orders at you and, and like tell you how to do it, but they wouldn't, you're like, there's no way they'd be able to do what they want, what they're asking me to do, right? Have you had those different kind of managers? Can you relate to that? Managers that are just really caring and actually get messy with you, that enter into that with you, that actually feel like they're not just ones that are like dictating to you what to do, but they actually care about the result and what's going to come of what you're doing. That's another example of why Christ entered into the mess and the darkness that is this earth. He entered in. He got his hands messy. And he entered into it with us. Being a part of the solution that was to draw that bridge between the glory of heaven and the darkness of this planet. Right? It'd be different, and hopefully, hopefully I don't come across this way. It'd be different if I just preached at you day after day after day after day, but you saw nothing that exemplified God's love come from my life. Right? How hard would it be for you to receive messages if you didn't see that I try? Ultimately, I'm unsuccessful more than I am successful, but I try to live the life that God has called me to do. But if I just got here and preached to you and wasn't involved relationally with you or didn't get into the mess of life and you didn't get into the mess of my life with me and we didn't try to figure these things out on our own, it'd be a lot harder to receive. Maybe I come across that way. I don't know. Um, but, but that's just it. Like God entered into those relationships with us. And, and, and what it displays, it displays that even in our rebellion against him sometimes, uh, either through uh, our religion or irreligion, or in, in that darkness of our life, of, of, of the darkest areas of our lives, and the part, uh, the part that we live that we're most uh, ashamed of or that we try to hide from God, God's response isn't to like lean away and be like, whoa, I'm out, you know? Like God's, no, like God's desire is to enter into that with us. He actually pursues us in those areas and wants to get in and discuss that with us and work through that with us. He leans in. He doesn't lean back. And that's amazing news for me. Hopefully it is for you as well as oftentimes I get it wrong. 
but I know that God still leans in and wants to pursue me and get his hands dirty in it. So much so that we know that example, then we actually did it for our Monday Thursday service that Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist and bent down and washed his disciples' feet, right? Now you're like, I'm not going to that service this year. It was great. It was a great experience. But that is a direct display of God wanting to get messy and wash us clean from anything that we have in our lives. All right, so now let's move on to the suffering of Jesus. Colossians 1.19, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So that's his fullness of Jesus being on earth. And through him uh, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you uh, holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation. And the creed that says, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried, and descended into death. Church, there is no greater act of love than that that is displayed by Jesus' suffering in his death on the cross. There is no recorded greater act of love than that. You might think, man, I nail it as a husband and I display my love to my wife in amazing ways, but it's nothing in comparison to the act that Jesus did on the cross for each one of us. Jesus' suffering defines God's love for us. And I think, and again, when I say I think, I actually believe it to be true in my life. So I could just say, and I believe for me, uh, I do a pretty good job at lessening the, lessening the act of Jesus' death, right? Lessening, making that less of a focus, okay? So we had small group this week on Monday, and I'm not going to call any of my, our small group's like, whoa, what is he going to say? No, Okay. Uh, we had a small group on Monday, and I sat in my seat, and I said this a couple times, and, and as I was saying it, I didn't know I was going to say it today, but I looked at some of the people in the small group, and I said, your sins killed Jesus. Your sins killed Jesus. And your sins killed Jesus. And they were like, whoa! My wife was like, don't say that! Right? It's true. It's true. It is... Uh, I don't know, offensive, but offensively true, right? We try to lessen the act of Jesus on the cross so that we think, man, man, we're not that bad. Like, Jesus died for, like, that guy, not necessarily me. Like, I'm, I'm actually pretty, live a pretty good life. But I want to say that, I'm sorry to break the news to you, but you are that bad. That so bad that Jesus went to the cross and died because of you, because of us. And it might be hard to swallow, but uh, there's no other way, there was no other way than him paying the debt of your sins by going through what he, than by going through what he went through. Jesus paid your penalty, mine too, all of us here. Jesus paid our penalty on the cross. And both of these claims, that the claim of Jesus abandoning the throne and coming to earth, um, 
and that he suffered on each of our behalf. Both of these uh, tell us that our God knows our circumstances. It tells us the truth that he knows and understands because of what he went through, because of how he suffered, he can relate and know the suffering that we have in our lives. He knows what and has experienced what you've gone, what you're going through. He knows how hard life can get, right? That through Jesus, he knows suffering, he knows hardship, he knows loneliness, he knows uncertainty, he knows trials. God knows abandonment, right, on the cross. God, why have you forsaken me? God turns back to him. He knows abandonment. He knows separation. He knows uncertainty. Please, if there's any other way, God, take this cup from my hand. He's experienced it. And that's good news for us. That despite whatever we have going on our, going on our life, we have a king, a, a savior, who has experienced that same thing and can relate to us. And actually has quite a bit of power, which we'll get to in a second, that can help us through whatever it is that we're facing. And I, personally, can have more trust and faith in one that has gone through anything that I've gone through in order that I might understand or be able to weather the storm. All right. But it's not only about his death. And the creed said, on the third day, he rose again, right? This is what we celebrate on Easter. Amazing. That God defeated the grave. That kind of power is what we have access to in order to, to get through what it is that, we've, that we're, we're facing in our life. The greatest act of power, his greatest act of power. Some of my favorite stories about Jesus are his display of power, right? They're on the boat and the disciples are like, wake up, we're going to die. Jesus like, storm, boom, done, right? Storm stops or calls Lazarus out of the grave. Like, Lazarus, yeah, you're not going to be dead anymore. You know, and he calls him out. Lazarus gets up and walks, right? Calls demons out of people, right? That's that kind of power. You don't, you don't have an argument with Jesus, right? You lose because of his power, right? But defeating his, but, and that's his power. We have access to that power. We've talked about God's power a lot. That's kind of a little bit easier to understand. We talked about it when, when, uh, when we even talked about God a little bit. So, but it's not only about defeating the grave. Right? The story doesn't end with his power and defeating the grave. It would be limited if that is where the story ended, if that is where our focus ended. Right? In the creed, it says, he then ascended into heaven. And this, church, the ascension of Christ is one of the greatest, least talked about acts that Christ did for humanity. Okay? The greatest, least acts of, that makes sense, right? It's the greatest, least talked about act. I don't know. Anyway, do you get what I'm saying? We talk about this like the least, but it's one of the greatest displays, because here's why. He told his disciples over and over again, I have to go. I'm going to leave from here. I got to go. Right? And it's to your advantage, he actually says. It's to your advantage that I'm going to leave. Right? And even Mary, after his death, he appears to Mary, and Mary's like, sobbing. She's so disappointed that her Savior had died. The, the one that was going to bring everything, make everything clear, died. She's sobbing and she sees Jesus and she goes and like wraps her arms around him and Jesus is like, off of me, woman. 
I've got to go see the father still. Like, he's not done yet. There's still something for him to do. He doesn't comfort her. He says, I still got work to do. And here's why the ascension uh, is so important. We do not have the power of Jesus for us if the ascension doesn't happen. This is because God chose, if you, if you think about it, God chose a specific place and time to break into humanity, all right? He chose a specific place and time to enter in as Jesus, like we celebrate on Christmas, the birth of the baby, and live his life, and his death, and his resurrection. He chose that specific place and time. So if he didn't ascend to heaven and send his spirit, which we talked about last week, that that is where, essentially, Jesus' power would be kind of like centrally located. But because, or his presence, because he ascended into heaven and sent his spirit, his presence now extends to everybody through all of time. Right? It's not only about some guy that walked the planet back over 2,000 years ago. It's about a God that is present with us now. That we have access to his power and his presence now where we live. Right? The ascension gives us full access to God. So when we say in the, in the uh, Apostles' Creed, he ascended into heaven, we're not just like, yeah, he lived and he died, that's a great story, and then he went to heaven. No, it's like he ascended into heaven so that we have full access to his presence. That brings so much more meaning to those four words. For me, at least, maybe you guys aren't as excited about it as I am. No? All right, we can move on. No. Uh, we focus, if we focus solely on Christ's life, the way he lived and what he did for each one of us, his forgiveness, and uh, how he defeated uh, the grave, then we miss the act of which gives us the full access to the Trinity, his presence with us. Because Jesus ascended, we have the full presence of God now in our lives today. And it isn't only for his disciples. His ascension was was so that the world would have access, right? All the ends of the earth, every tribe and every tongue and every people, everybody in Sudden Valley, not just the people like we like, our neighbors, like everybody, right? The ascension brings that peace into it. The ascension made it so that we know that our, in our darkest places, in our uncertainty, in our sorrow of which when Jesus comes back, there will be no sorrow. I'm looking forward to that day, right? In our weakness, in our hurt, in our pain, in our suffering, in our doubt, he is with us. And so we started with this, and I want to end with this this morning, is I want, us, I want you to know, church, that he is still the Christ. He is still the King. I want us to understand that everything that we've looked at, his life, his death, his suffering, the ascension, everything, through all that now, hopefully, we've got a, picture, a better picture of Christ, the King. And that we have access to his kingdom and that those of us that have placed our faith and trust in him are are. are elevated up into his kingdom, that have access to his kingdom here on earth. Not only like heaven when we get there, 
but here on earth we are a part of his kingdom. We are his sons and daughters, his people who have full access to everything that the king has. A loving king, not a tyrant, not a dictator, but a loving king. And so my challenge for us this morning is, church, who do you say Jesus is and who you think Jesus is Is it enough for you to abandon every selfish desire, everything that you want in your life, to be part of his kingdom and what he has for you? Let's pray.